Hello, this is episode 19 of Josh Hamilton's Ramblings. Um, and today I wanted to talk about people being wrong about stuff. Um, this may come as a surprise to you, but you are wrong about a lot of things. I am wrong about a lot of things. Because everyone is wrong about a lot of things. Um, <laughs> there's a, a quote from a professor. I don't... It's one of those apocryphal things that's just floating out. I think it might have been said by a marketing professor or a philosophy professor. It fits a lot of fields. Uh, but it was early early in the semester he told his students, half of the stuff I tell you is wrong. The key is figuring out which half. Um, and I think that really illustrates a deep truth that if I just zoom out and I think about people, I know that people are uh, – have bad sources of information, have biases, are wrong about a great many things. But then I think about the things that I think, and I'm like, no, I'm right about a lot of stuff. And we all think that. We have a, a tendency to think that we are right, even if in the abstract we can recognize that some significant percentage of the time we are wrong. Um, it's like you can – you can. Uh, it, it's interesting the way that we should – we can look at facts and of saying like how, how solid is this? How – uh, how sure am I that this is true? Like Donald Trump is president of the United States of America. I'm real sure that's true. Uh, there's a there's a lot of things that would have had to have gone catastrophically wrong uh, in the way that I gather information for that not to be true. It seems really true. Um, but then if you if you move into something like most of America does not approve of the job that Donald Trump is doing. Uh, if you look at polls, uh, I'll, I'll go find some polls. Actually, I'll probably go look at 538. I really like 538. They'll get referenced a couple more times in here. Um, but if you look at uh, take a look at polls, which are asking a bunch of people, uh, do you approve of Donald Trump's performance? It looks pretty solidly like most of America does not approve of the job that he's doing. Uh, and we can say that with a pretty high degree of confidence. But that may or may not be true in the future if he um, – you know, if the economy goes shooting through the roof and he's able to uh, bring North Korea and Iran back into the fold as functional world powers that stop oppressing people and um, having nuclear weapons that they're threatening people with. I mean, like, there's a lot of things that could change about that. Also, it's possible that we're just wrong that, you know, sampling errors and whatnot went really haywire that uh, the pollsters are doing stuff wrong. But it seems very likely that at this point in June of 2018, uh, that most of America does not think Donald Trump is doing a good job. Uh, so if we, if we abstract one layer farther than that to Donald Trump is a good president or Donald Trump is a bad president, uh, I, I have pretty strong feelings which I, on whichever side of that you, you want to state it. But we are drifting – into opinions and you can while you can build a very solid case uh the level at which you know that donald trump is a good president or a bad president is much fuzzier than those earlier two questions of is donald trump president or does most of america approve of donald trump's performance but we will frequently answer all three of those types of questions with the same way of donald trump is president most of america does not approve of his performance and donald trump is a bad president uh, when in reality, you, we state all of those like it's a probability of one, this is a fact that exists. When in reality, we should be uh, – and I don't know if there's a good way of doing this, but of, of gradating and saying, how sure am I of this? Um, if, if you want another example of this that's less 
a little bit less hardcore. Watch uh, basically any romantic comedy. Uh, they re- <laughs> There's a video that I'll, I'll link in the description of the podcast that talks about romantic comedies. Um, and, and there's a couple of key elements to a romantic comedy. One of them is the quirky friends. Uh, and the, the key part that my wife and I joke about sometimes is the misunderstanding. It's so misunderstood. And you can... It, it, They've got like four pieces of this where it's like, it's always the same because people are sure, oh, that person did X for whatever reason. Um, White Christmas is a, man, it's kind of an old person movie, but uh, I really enjoy it. There's uh, some quality music. Uh, We used to watch a musical or like a live theater version of it in college. Um, We did it at least like half the years around Christmas. But anyway, uh, the misunderstanding in that one. Oh, spoiler alert. If you haven't watched this 40 year old movie yet. Uh, I'm going to spoil it for you. So the uh, the turning point is uh, there's these two soldiers. They go back and it's, they're staying at their general's bed and be- breakfast and it's not doing so well. And so they make a deal to bring in uh, their whole old unit to help the uh, help the bed and breakfast get some uh, get some customers. You know, get back on its feet. Help help uh, help the general's uh, hotel to get going well again. Uh, but then the housekeeper or white, I, I can't remember, somebody connected to the general uh, he just picks up on part of it. And they think that the two soldiers who came back are selling the place. And so there's some dramatic tension and it causes uh, some romantic friction. And a fair portion of the plot is based around the fact that uh, the actual fact is that they are trying to help the general. But then the twisted version of the fact that the housekeeper is sure of is that they are trying to take away the general's hotel and sell it to somebody else. And yeah, people being too sure that they know what's going on is absolutely central to the plot of most romantic comedies. Um, I mean, and just kind of generally in relationships, if you're sure that the bad thing that your friend or spouse or sibling did was on purpose uh, that they consciously ignored you or they knew what you wanted and they intentionally forgot about it. If we ascribe attention, if we're really sure of that rather than leaving some space for, Oh, maybe they were just having a bad day. Oh, maybe they didn't hear me. Um, There's a lot of ways in which that can cause a lot more friction in relationships than there needs to be. If we can just give people some grace of saying, Oh, maybe I was wrong. Maybe you didn't hear me. Maybe I didn't communicate as clearly as I thought I did. Um, There, there was an interesting book that I read a little while ago and it was called the half life of facts. And The central premise of this book, I don't know how much I believe this book, but it it was a very interesting book of saying in each field, uh, every half of the facts that are known about that field will be overturned in some period of time. Uh, And it'll be different for different fields. So if you get, you know, highly experimental fields, that time is likely to be shorter. You know, maybe it's every five years we're turning over half of the knowledge that we have for a very new thing. Whereas for something much older, maybe it's over a hundred years or 200 years uh, that half the things that we did know were true are no longer true. Uh, and those time frames will change, but just of the, the approach of saying, Hey, there are things that are taught in textbooks now that in 50 years we'll be like, man, that was dumb and wrong. Uh, and we can say that with a great deal of, 
certainty because we have been <laughs> if you look at the past that's how it always goes and i don't think we're that much smarter than we used to be people are people so the solution to this that i would uh offer you the the healthier more accurate way of looking at the world is to think probabilistically so we we tend to think very binary of donald trump as president he's not donald trump is a good president donald trump is a bad president uh, which is not a very helpful way to think about those a lot. Uh, it, thinking about things in that man manner is very helpful for history of Donald Trump did win the presidency. Um, Andrew Jackson was one of our presidents. Uh, you know, Pearl Harbor happened on this date. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles won the last Super Bowl. Of all of those things, of they did happen. Uh, but history did not inevitably have to turn out that way. Um, the, so let's look, take a look at the Eagles winning the last Super Bowl, or actually even better, look at the Patriots winning the Super Bowl before that. They were down 24 to three in the third quarter. Uh, the expected, like uh, the expected winning, or what, what was it? The uh, probability they would win the game at one point was like 0.01% because you, Teams do not come back from being down 24 to three in the third quarter very often. Um, but they did every, I mean, from that point forward, basically everything went right. The uh, Patriots scored and just kept scoring and they ended up beating the Falcons. Um, but that doesn't mean that it was inevitable. If basically anything would have gone wrong for the Patriots in that entire run of stuff, uh, if the Falcons would have had one good offensive drive, if one of the Patriots' drives would have sputtered, uh, you know, if a couple calls would have gone the other way, they would not have won that. Um, the Eagles winning the game this year does not necessarily mean they were the better team and they would have beaten the Patriots every time. Uh, so it's a lot more helpful if we think about things probabilistically, like, oh, did the Eagles have, you know, a 45% chance or a 55% chance of winning that game? Uh, going in. So let's take a look at the last presidential election. We're back to my lovely friends over at 538. Uh, before, like on uh, the day of the election, 538 said he had about a 30% chance of winning the election, um, which I think is much more helpful than I think Hillary is going to win or I think Donald Trump is going to win. Um, of saying, hey, there's a fair amount of uncertainty. Like, we don't know. I haven't gone and talked and seen into the mind of all 300 million people in this country and seen if they're going to vote and who they're going to vote for. Um, and so there's a fair amount of error in what do we know, who do we think is going to win. And a 30% chance that Donald Trump wins the election says, hey, it's a little bit more than twice as likely that Hillary will win the election and then that Trump will win the election, but there's still a very significant chance that Donald Trump will win the election, which he indeed did. Um, if you are dead sure that either Donald Trump was going to win or Hillary Clinton was going to win, I just don't think that's a good way of looking at the world because you're not – you're telling yourself a story rather than – looking at the facts and saying, this is what the facts can tell me, because the facts were not there to give you uh, relative certainty in either direction. You're not, very few things in life are certain before they happen. <laughs> As the old saying goes, nothing is certain but death and taxes. Um, 
and even though when they will happen, when they will happen and how much they will be and what their manner will be is hard to predict. So anytime you're predicting the future, you need to be very careful. Um, what it, one of the flip sides, though, is uh, 538 probably wasn't wrong. They said that Donald Trump had a 30 percent chance, which meant that Hillary Clinton was a very significant fa- favorite. Uh, but being how we only have one election. Was it, did Donald Trump actually have a 30% chance or did he actually have a 90% chance? We don't know because we only have one uh, thing to look at. A lot of these probability models work a lot better in something like sports where you have a bunch of reputations. We only get one Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump presidential election in November of 2016. Um, So it, it, that's just, that's not really here nor there. Uh, it's just interesting to note that it's hard to tell with a probabilistic forecast like that. And some people will say it's chicken. I would say it's nuanced and correct. And it turns out the world is a messy place where it's hard to know uh, right or wrong, especially if you're trying to communicate some nuance and some depth. Uh, so all of this kind of uh, wraps up. The thing that I get uh, into, I get pretty irritated when people try to predict the future. It's It's more and more as I'm growing into a cranky old man uh, that people look forward and they say they look at the future or they try to look at the future. Like you can look at the past. And and I think the probabilistic approach is vastly more important going forward. Um, So the example that I'm going to use, sorry, I'm really heavy on the political examples for this uh, one, but I've been listening to a lot of political punditry and whatnot Uh, And it makes me cranky sometimes. So, sorry, you're choosing to listen to me. So this is what you get. Um, So we've got the probe into the Russian influence on the 2016 uh, election. And, you know, if there's coordination between the Trump campaign and Russia, uh, all of that stuff. So you, if you talk to the right people, you can get nearly any uh, perspective on this. So people who don't like Donald Trump. Uh, there's a fair number of them saying, oh, yeah, there was definitely collusion with Russia. Um, he should be impeached now. Throw him out of office. Just no bueno. Nothing good. Uh, maybe if you look at people who are very supportive of Donald Trump, they'll say this is a huge pile of nothing. Mueller hasn't uh, gotten to anybody that close to Trump yet, and the investigation should be terminated. You haven't found anything in a year. You should just pack up and go home. Uh, maybe it drives me nuts. Like we have an investigation so it can find answers. Can we just wait for the investigation to be done to have some answers about what happened? Every, it feels like everyone is trying to jump the gun and say, this is what the investigation will find. Well, if we knew that we wouldn't need an investigation now, would we? Um, it, it just drives me nuts. Like, can we just, can we just sit and wait for like, five minutes and get the actual answers before we go rushing to judgment. Um, My wife is saying that I'm getting all fired. This is yelling at the computer. Uh, But it it just drives me a little bit nuts when people are literally, we just have to wait five or six months or a year. Like that is the point of having this investigation. If we did not have an investigation, we should get all riled up and start an investigation. But the point is to find the facts until we have the facts. Let's all just shut up and move on. Um, people are trying to evaluate something that they have not seen in this case being the, uh, results of the investigation. 
If I ask you, is $200,000 a good price for a house, but you haven't seen the house, you don't know where it is, you don't know what condition it's in, does your assessment mean anything? No, because if that's a house on the outside of Boise, Idaho, or in the middle of nowhere, Montana, that's in terrible condition, that's a horrible price. If that's an even somewhat habitable house in the middle of Seattle, that is a phenomenal price. Um, and none of us have seen the future. So we are all that house buyer. If you ask me my assessment of who the best gymnasts in China are, it doesn't mean anything. If you more or less ask any of us about things that are going to happen in the future, it is like asking me about who the best gymnasts in China are. I could make some guesses. I could Google some stuff, but I just don't know. Uh, and so it's frustrating to me because anyone outside of the Mueller probe who doesn't know what they've found is trying to speculate about stuff that they don't know. And many of them are doing it with a great deal more confidence than is warranted by the evidence. Uh, it feels to me like all of this is part of the disease. We like, we need to be up to the date. Like we cannot be five minutes behind uh, in part because the internet is such a vicious whirling machine of now that we're all tired, like we're all afraid of being behind, or many of us are. I should put some error bars in this, in the spirit of this entire podcast. Um, but one of the places that this is worst is Twitter. Like Twitter is very much a living in the now. I mean, all of the best things about Twitter are living in the now. What's the movement? What are people excited about? What's trending? Uh, which, is, which is cool. It can be great for some things. But... <coughs> We also get people being really dumb on Twitter because they're responding to things in the moment. They're responding to 140 characters rather than what's the full story, what are all the facts. Um, that it, one of the things that frustrates me about the news is a lot of it's what is happening this instant? Where are we right now? What is, what is the current scuttlebutt? What are the rumors? Rather than, okay, let's zoom back. What happened this week? What happened this month? What has been happening this year? Um, the Indicator from Planet Money is a podcast that I greatly enjoy, and they have a segment that they do every once in a while um, that's, hey, if we had a newspaper that came out once every 50 years, what would be the headlines? Uh, and that's a very, very interesting way to look at the world, and just kind of more broadly of saying, all right, if we zoom out, uh, what does it what does it look like? like when we've had time for all of the facts to come out, when we're not – Donald Trump is very much a master of this, of, of just bombarding new things. And so you don't have time to track back and be like, oh, he lied 17 times about that. Um, and those details matter. Like the particulars of a case matter a lot. Uh, so there's uh, a very popular story for people who want to denigrate our court system of saying there's frivolous lawsuits uh, about a person who spilled hot coffee on themselves and won millions of dollars. And I've heard a lot of people be like, oh, that's, that's wrong with what's in our court system. Well, the details of that case turn out to matter a lot because it was an older woman who uh, was burned very, very badly. She was sitting in her car. She spilled McDonald's hot coffee. And because McDonald's uh, has their coffee be very, very hot, so when you're driving to wherever you get to, you stop and then you still have hot coffee. Uh, their, their coffee is – or was. I, I think after this court decree, they had to lower the temperature they had their coffee at. Um, 
But she, so she was an older lady. She spilled it into her lap and was not able to get out of her car to wipe it off of herself. And she ended up getting, uh, I think it was second or third degree burns. Um, I'll link to an explanation of this. And so she initially went to McDonald's just wanting to get her medical costs recouped. Uh, and McDonald's fought it tooth and nail all the way. And the millions of dollars that she did end up getting were mostly because the jury awarded that to her as punitive damages of saying, hey, McDonald's has been screwing you really bad for a long time. Like they just haven't been willing to do what any decent corporate place would be able to be like, oh, sorry, this horrible thing happened because of the way that we did our coffee. Yeah, we'll cover your, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars of medical bills. They fought it tooth and nail. And so the jury was like, no, we don't want corporations to be jerks and gave her a bunch of money that she did not ask for. Um, there's a good chance I'm wrong about some of those details because it's been several years. But that kind of thing is um, what I'm talking about, where the details of the case make a huge difference of if it's a 25 year old spilling some coffee on himself and being like, oh, ow, it hurts. I want a million dollars as opposed to, you know, an 80 year old who gets second degree burns because she couldn't move fast enough uh, when she spilled her coffee on herself in her car. So the details matter a lot. But if you're dealing in Twitter, if you're dealing with right now, you never have a chance to get there. Um, so yeah, one of the, one of the rules that I like to use, I don't think I actually use this with news, but that I would really like, and a new, a news strategy that I would be super excited about if you had a news aggregator is I do not care about any news story that is not a news story for 24 hours. Uh, if it wasn't important enough, important enough for people to care 24 hours after it happened, I never want to hear about it. Because there's just so much crap that's happening all the time. Like, news networks are going to fill their airwaves with something. They will always manufacture a crisis. They will always find something because they're trying to draw eyeballs. Because that's what they do. Because the free market is a very powerful thing. Uh, but if it's not a big deal a day later, I, and honestly, most of the time, I would say that's true a week later. If it doesn't still matter in a week, I do not care. Um and it's, I mean, Twitter is the absolute antithesis of that, of it's what's happening this second. So, I, I mean, and I think about this kind of in a broad range of things. One of the uh, other political offshoots of this is there's been a lot of wrangling about CBO scores, the Congressional Budget Office. When com Congress comes up with legislation, the Congressional Budget Office looks at it and they're like, oh, I think this is going to cost $56 billion over the next 10 years. Uh, which is useful. It's interesting. They, they have smart people at the CBO. They tend to do as well or better than other uh, private analyses from the little bit that I've seen, uh, mostly around Obamacare. But there's still huge error bars. Predicting the future is really, really hard. Uh, and so it's frustrating to me when people say, oh, the CBO was wrong about something. Yeah, they're predicting the future. They're always going to be wrong. Or, oh, this, this legislation is going to cost $56 billion. Well, maybe uh, that people do not treat those numbers uh, and those predictions with the correct amount of, yes, these are pretty good numbers, but they still have pretty wide margins for error. Uh, and it frustrates me when people use numbers badly like that. Um, on a not super dissimilar note, there's a lot of political commentary that drives me up a freaking wall. And I always, it, when I hear this in podcasts, I just skip to the next one. Uh, but they're just stating opinions or saying 
facts that they think will be true. So something like, I think that the Democratic base is very energized and will create a blue wave in the fall election. Great. It's nice that you think that, but that doesn't actually contribute nearly anything to my knowledge of the world. Uh, <coughs> why do you think the Democratic base is energized? Uh, why do you think that will translate into a blue wave in the fall election? How big of a blue wave? Um, and so I get a little bit hot takey in here because like that's, that's entertainment. It can be entertaining of, oh, what do you think? How does that match with what, the way that I view the world? But there's not, uh, there's not very much information there. And I feel like a lot of political punditry gets there. And so when I listen to politics stuff, I want to learn more facts. Like, okay, uh, what are my representatives doing in government? How is the government being run? Is that the best way? What are the choices that they're making? What are the risks that, are, that they are taking? Um, how does this system work? That's the thing that I want. Um, so it, I think I might be splitting hairs here, but the thing that I'm more interested in than a prediction like that is someone setting up a theory uh, and of saying, okay, these are the pieces of evidence that I have. Here's how I think they go there. Um, so say you got to something like, uh, if the greater democratic enthusiasm that we've seen as demonstrated by the women's march or, or by higher turnout in primary elections translates into higher voter turnout, then Democrats are likely to pick up X seats uh, that you've determined by, you know, saying I think they're likely to be about plus six. Uh, and so all of the seats that have a smaller Republican lean than that, uh, they're likely to pick up. And so – I recognize that might be a pretty slim distinction. I don't know that I'm uh, defining that well, but a wrong prediction is just wrong. Whereas if you have a theory where it's like, I think these things are happening because of this, um, you can say, okay, it, it gives you a lot more tools to drill down into why they were wrong of saying, oh, uh, were their inputs wrong? No, there wasn't actually a lot of democratic enthusiasm. Uh, that was that was something that we misread very badly. Nothing really changed, and the same people who turn out for midterm elections always turn out. Um, so were the facts wrong, or you know the Republican gerrymanders because they controlled state houses in 2010 were much much stronger than we thought, and so it didn't matter how many votes the Democrats picked up, or you know any one of those things. And so we can say, okay, these are the pieces. These are these are why this is happening. Uh, So one, one last rambling thought uh, veering into the religious territory. Uh, in the New Testament, the Pharisees, the religious elites, the religious leaders of the day, missed Jesus. They ended up leading the efforts to crucify him. Because, and I, you, one, of the, one of the theories on that is that they knew what the Messiah was going to look, at, look like. The Messiah was going to be the conquering king that was going to free them from Rome. And Jesus was not that. He, he wasn't that at all. He rejected earthly power in a lot of ways. Um, and because of that, they missed the Messiah. This person that they had been training their whole lives uh, to recognize, to see, to prepare themselves and the nation for, they were working really, really hard. And then they missed it when it, ha they, when it actually happened because they knew what reality was going to look like. And then reality did not match that. Um, I mean, and I like I know that I'm wrong about a bunch of stuff. So I, I mean, what are the things like that that I'm going to miss because I knew what they were going to look like and then they didn't. Um, so anyway, this is this has been kind of a long rambling uh, set of stuff.
that I, I've just had tumbling around in my brain for a while that I wanted to get out. Um, so here are your three takeaways or here the, the takeaways that I'm kind of thinking out of this. Uh, be really humble about things that you know. Uh, it's, it's really valuable to keep in mind that you are wrong about a lot of things, uh, but you don't know what you are wrong about. So uh, of holding on loosely, of always being ready to uh, meet the world and learn new things. If you come at it with, okay, like uh, what can you present to support that? Does that match the evidence that we have on this side? Uh, we, what do we actually think is true? Um, it's particularly valuable in interpersonal relationships of, of being able to give people some grace, being able to give people some wiggle room. Um, uh, number, the second thing I would say is the future is really, really hard to pick predict and the near past is pretty fuzzy um that you are far more likely to be correct if you wait for details to come out um wait for them to have wait for things to have actually happened and then wait for all the details to have sifted out so we have a good idea of what's going on um and then trying to stick to facts of your opinions may be entertaining but they are your opinions and they are not the truth uh and so it's, yeah, opinions can be frustrating to me. Um, theories that give us kind of falsifiable predictions of was this right or was this wrong, I think are much more useful. Um, but yeah, uh, it's been like a month and a half since I recorded because I've been doing other stuff and lazy in varying degrees. So hopefully I will be able to get back to uh, releasing a podcast every two weeks or so for you, my <laughs> three or four loyal listeners or whoever you are. Um, I, I've really enjoyed this. It's, uh, it, it's nice to sit down and actually force myself to think through things in a logical and disciplined way in large part because of this, because it does force me to uh, confront the way that I'm thinking about things uh, and hopefully make me less wrong about less things, or at least more aware of where the uncertainty uh, or the weaknesses in my logic are, or what, at very least, what my logic is depending on, so I can know, oh, that thing that I thought was true is not true, so now we need to re-examine some stuff. So hopefully you guys have gotten uh, as much out of listening to this podcast as I am recording it. Um, I'll see you guys next time, hopefully in two weeks. Bye.